Blog Talk Radio. It started off with me when I first got here. He was my officer. I think my five-day officer. So it started with little, like, comments and stuff. So I was like, no, shrugging it off. Oh, maybe, you know, he's just playing, whatever. Because at first he never came off as, like, perverted, as I may say. I was trying to feel uncomfortable. So I always say to myself, and I always had a friend whose name I'm not going to mention, but... She ended up getting in some trouble, ended up leaving. So when she did leave, she made a comment about what nobody cares. They do no more about yourself. So I was like, well, what's that supposed to be? So that's how it started with the inappropriate comments and going count time. We were doing inappropriate stuff. I was feeling very uncomfortable. I spoke to my psych about it. And she said, well, if you need help, I can help you. But I was kind of scared because in here it's kind of difficult because people either don't believe your thing will. It's your fault because you must have wanted it to happen. No, it's not that I wanted anything to happen. I just said it's very disgusting. And I could say that I do hate him. And I've also had personal issues. I went through something similar when I was a little girl. I can't. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, and tonight we're dealing with the same thing we've been talking about, except at another level. Voices from behind the wall. We're going to hear what's going on in America's prisons, county jails, and the abuse of power, the abuses that are going on, killings, murders, rapes, uh, you name it, the most horrific terror stories that you can imagine. We talk tonight, the voice behind the wall, women and what they are suffering. Uh, There are mothers, grandmothers, aunts, sisters. What you're going to hear tonight is going to be very troubling and heart-wrenching. Folks, hang on. AJC Radio takes off. Right now. And there you have it, folks. And uh, again, we're going to deal with these issues tonight. Uh, in regards to the abuse of women behind the wall tonight, uh, I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and we are happy to announce tonight a new member of the AJC Radio team, Samson Riddle. And uh, Samson, we're happy to have you here tonight as part of this uh, part of our team. We're, we're very happy to have you. Well, thank you, Lamont. It's great to be here, um, and it's great to be a part of the issues and, and help. Did you give a voice to those that don't have a voice behind the wall? Um, listening to the last week's show and just being a part of it, it, it just troubles me um, as an individual and as a veteran and as just a member of this society to, to hear and see the footage of the things that are going on and nobody's doing anything about it to stand up for these folks. No, and, and again, uh, we look forward to your perspective tonight as, 
as we get into this discussion, uh, and it's something, uh, and now we have two veterans on the panel here, uh, Dennis Merritt and uh, Samson Riddle, and we're, we, we're excited, uh, and Dennis, I'm sure you're excited to have a, a fellow brother here, uh, comrade, if you will, part of this team. Your thoughts? Uh, very excited. Uh, again, I, I kind of echo what he's talking about, that it's going to be nice to try to, to get out there and get the message out there that we've got some problems uh, in our justice system uh, and in our prisons that uh, we've we got to get out there and really put the word out, especially vote uh, for those elected officials that can make a change. No, absolutely right. William, as we talked about last week, uh, well, two days ago, and since this initiative has started, uh, the stories are horrific, uh, what we are hearing. The things that are going on are horrific. They're inhumane. They're cruel. They're terror acts. If you, this is, an, in my opinion, the highest level of terror that you could put on somebody behind a wall and in the power. This is the issue. You don't have the power in these prisons, in these county jails. You don't have the weapons. But the officers do, the deputies do, and you're just a, uh, just a, another nobody. From what I'm seeing in these clips and what we're hearing out here in the, in the, uh, in the media, uh, at least definitely here on AJC Radio and what we're seeing as we search for these stories, uh, you're helpless. Absolutely. You know, the, the thing that's really stood out to me more than anything is that these guards, they – I don't know what their role is except to, except for to torture these people. There's no rehabilitation. There's no helping these guys. There's definitely no compassion. We've heard stories of, uh, and I think it was Natalie had, had came on. And she said, you know, what they were trained to do is one thing. Their discipline and their behavior, once they once they put on the uniform, is all about bullying, intimidating, torturing. Uh, you name it. it. It's who they are. It's their nature. It's their culture. So basically your loved ones, it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong, if they convicted it or if they're convicted of a crime or if they're wrongfully convicted. Once they get behind the wall, they are in the hands of the most inhumane and cruel people on the planet that are taught to do this. They are encouraged to do this. We are, we've heard stories of uh, Darren Rainey that was placed in a shower that was so small that he couldn't maneuver, and I believe the water temperature was 188 degrees. And you li- and these men controlled the shower. They controlled this. In- and so in other words, the think the caller said he he was boiled like a lobster. This is one of so many situations we've talked about. We'll continue to talk about on the show. We'll uncover and. Hopefully our listeners will, will hear this. I mean, because we have to be the voice for these people. We have to vo- be the voice in, their, in, in this hour for those that don't have a voice. No, absolutely right, William. And we're going to deal with these issues tonight. Folks, feel free to dial in 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. Uh, let your voice be heard about what you're hearing out here. Uh, we we, rec- we uh, ask that also you go to the chat room. Get into discussion, have conversations uh, about this. People cannot uh, remain silent in this situation. There are people that are dying. There are, pe- there are people that are hurting, that need help, uh, and we have to actually give them that help. Uh, so we want you to get involved with this. AJC Radio Just Cause organization will not rest until justice is brought. We're going to be joined tonight, the young lady that joined us the other night, uh, former uh, Midland County Sheriff's Department uh, uh, deputy, uh, says, I talked to her last night, uh, says she wanted to definitely share some of the things that she had seen 
some of the women go through there at that particular uh, county jail. Uh, we're going to also be joined back uh, with Kathy Morse. She was the one lady, excuse me, that actually was an inmate uh, detainee, as she called it, uh, at Rikers Island. Uh, the little bit that she shared with us the other night was, was overwhelming. Uh, we're going to hear from her tonight. She was very eager to come back on and continue to get in this conversation, in this discussion. It's something that definitely has to happen. Cliff, as we were uh, sharing some of the stuff, I think sometimes our women, uh, the mothers, uh, what they're going through behind the wall, some of these ladies are getting out in two to three years. Some of these ladies are not going to be in prison a long, or county jail a long time. What damages are done to these women, mothers that are returning to their children? How are they affected? These are things and questions that we simply, as a society, have turned a blind eye to. We cannot do that any longer. And that's not to, to mention the, uh, the individuals who are fighting for their freedom that have been wrongfully convicted. You have to take into account, and, and that's what really gets you about these uh, so-called correction officers, these, these uh, prison guards, is that they want to try to be the judge, jury, and executioner of anybody who comes behind the wall. There are people there. It's bad enough if a person has committed a crime. They've been sentenced by the courts. They're doing their time. They're away from society. They're away from their families. That is their punishment. It is not up to these prison guards to mete out any additional punishment on them. Society has already given them their punishment. And then, again, for those who are there who are wrongfully convicted, fighting for their freedom, they get treated exactly the same by these guards that have no compassion, no morality. They, they abuse continually uh, time and time again. And these are the things that uh, you know, society has to stand up for and say we are not going to sit back and watch these prison guards abuse our fellow citizens. It's not right, it's not acceptable, and it needs to be dealt with. No, absolutely right. Uh, and Lisa, I'd like to, if I can, moment, definitely get your perspective uh, as a woman. Uh, some of the things we're hearing, you're going to hear about, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, parental warning tonight on some of the information we're going to get. You may want to get the little kitties out of the room, uh, get them tucked in early tonight. Some of this conversation is without question adult. Uh, and we're going to, some, some of the things you're going to hear uh, are, are graphic. Uh, some of the things that guards are, are uh, propositioning uh, uh, inmates in these women's prison. We're going to hear a little bit about that. So, uh, again, feel free, folks, to tune in, but understand parental warning tonight on this show. Uh, some of the information is is very, uh, very graphic. But without uh, telling you it in the raw, uh, you're never going to get the meaning of what's going on in these prisons. So you're going to hear some of that tonight. Folks, feel free to dial in 646-200-0628. That is 646-200-0628. On the other side of the break, we kick it off. Voices from behind the wall. Voices of women and the suffering going on behind the wall. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com. 
and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. 
If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where tonight, Voices from Behind the Wall continues here on AJC Radio. We ask that you call in tonight uh, at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And get involved in this conversation. Uh, We're talking about the abuse of women uh, behind the wall. Those are our mothers. Those are our sisters, uh, our aunts, uh, nieces. Whatever category or title they may fall under, you're going to learn tonight that they are being abused in a, a most horrific way. Uh, we must become that voice and, and their voice tonight as we get into this conversation uh, in regards to women and what they are suffering uh, behind the walls in, America, in, in America's prisons and in county jail and, and, and uh, the things that are happening upon being booked, being taken in the, just for booking. Not even, and I said this the other day. Some of the stuff that we have seen in the county jails, these are folks who are waiting to go through the process of the criminal justice system. They have not been convicted of a crime. This is what is tragic. They have not been convicted, and even had they been convicted, the abuse that we're seeing, we are not seeing this type of abuse in foreign countries. But America is quick. To get on a soapbox and say, how are we treating other folks in other countries? And how are the human rights? And how are the civil rights? Have they not taken a look behind the wall? And Dennis, I think you alluded to, and and Samson, I'm going to get your thoughts on this as well, the protocol for the treatment of prisoners of war. Now, if I'm not mistaken, prisoners of war are there to kill you, to take your life. And yet there are, I believe, is it the Geneva Conventions? Geneva Conventions. That there is a parameter of protocol. Not that you can pick and choose if you're you're going to follow that protocol. Right? You can be court-martialed. I mean, if you go against the protocol and you break Geneva Convention and you're caught doing it, you, you could go to jail for it. But we're killing our citizens. I hear you. We're killing, I, I hear you. Our, we're killing our citizens. Let's go to the county jail part first. Who have simply been accused of a crime? The America's uh, statement is that you are presumed innocent. That's a joke. That train left the station a while ago. But that's what they. That's the umbrella in which they live under. But a prisoner of war is treated with more dignity than our own citizens who've simply been accused of a crime yet and our citizens that may have made mistakes, made bad choices but a prisoner of war has more rights 
success and give me your thoughts on that. Hey, and you're absolutely right, Lamont. I mean, we, we, there, there's actually like documented cases. I mean, take a look back just a, just a few years ago, um, the soldiers that um, had evidence against them at the Abu Ghraib prison. You know, I mean, like these were enemy combatants that had been captured and detained, but they suffered abuse at the hands of American soldiers, and those American soldiers paid the price. Oh, yeah. But now you flip the same scenario to what we have here going on behind whatever type of uh, incarceration, whether it be county jail, prison, whatever. These guards are getting away with more heinous crimes than those soldiers perpetrated, and there's nothing being done. There's absolutely nothing being done to them, and there has to be somebody that's going to stand up and hold these guys accountable. Just because they wear a badge and they're behind those walls doesn't mean that they should develop this God complex. They should be held accountable for the exact same thing as you know those that are willing to go and die for their country. No, absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely right. This is a level of insanity. I was, I was going to Lisa before the break. Lisa, we were talking about your perspective as a woman. Uh. If I was a mother and my daughter was in a uh, prison or a county jail suffering rape, how do the, the family members, how do they deal with that from day to day? You know, Lamont, it just, it doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, you've got people committing less crimes walking the street and you've got guards in the prison doing these things to the inmates and it goes unnoticed, it goes unmentioned, it goes un, unpunished, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I was reading an article that was talking about their, they started a prison rape elimination act. That is insane that something like that has to be put in place to stop people from being raped in prison. You shouldn't be out. You're in prison. Okay, great. You broke, you broke the law. Maybe, maybe not. No, there's no telling these days. You're in prison. You're locked up. Why does that automatically mean that you're going to get raped? Why does that mean that you're uh, at so, so much a higher risk of being raped that they have to put something in place called the Prison Rape Elimination Act? That is insane. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I've heard horror stories for years about this kind of thing, and you hear different things from time to time, and it's just, it's sickening. It makes you, it just makes you want to be sick to the stomach because it doesn't make sense. You would think that America would be beyond something like that, but yeah, we're not beyond much of anything in this country. Oh, and Lisa, that's exactly right. And we're going to right now, we're going to hear a little bit about beyond punishment, abuse and neglect in the nation's biggest women's prison. Uh, some of the language, maybe not the language, but what you're going to hear, please pay attention to, because this is serious business, folks. This is not a movie. Uh, that we're, This is real life suffering happening right here in our nation behind the wall. In Lowell Correctional Facility, it's legal prostitution. It's like a brothel. It's like um, a predator's playground. We're prey. It's like a lion with a bunch of gazelles. I mean, it's a perfect breeding ground for sexual predators. There's a lot of hatred in this prison, and it's not the inmates. It's the staff behind the razor wire fences of the nation's largest women's prison, complaints of rampant sexual, physical, and mental abuse are frequently reported by inmates against the very corrections officers put in place to guard them. My first time in prison at Lowell, um, it was pretty corrupt, it was pretty dirty. My second time, 
it took it to a whole nother level. Sex with officers, harassment with officers, officers pushing up on you, officers touching you. I got to a point to where I was so fed up of having to flirt with officers and play with officers and have sex with officers and do sexual favors for officers just so I could survive in prison. I started to tell. Crystal Harper says that one of the officials that she reported to a prison investigator was the assistant warden, Marty Martinez. I had put on a show for him in the dorm and um, I did what he wanted me to do. And he told me that he was gonna give me um, $150 and he did. So then when I started to tell what had happened, I told her about me playing with myself for him. I told her about the other girls that were involved with him. I told him about his long talks, how you can get anybody moved. If you were ugly and you needed to talk to the warden about something that was probably serious or something that you needed or whatever, you needed to go find a pretty girl to do it. Don't even come talk to him if you're ugly. Harper was moved to Homestead Correctional to finish out her sentence. Assistant Warden Martinez, known to many of the female inmates as Marty and Daddy, was fired amid allegations of misconduct with inmates. When reached by phone and asked about the allegations, Martinez declined to comment. Former inmate Ginger Ullman said the frequent and illegal sexual relationships with officers at Lowell developed mainly as a form of exchange for contraband, like cigarettes, which can be worth over $400 a pack behind bars. They do you favors, they bring you in things, they'll go home and they'll wire your family money. It's more bringing in things, you know, perfume, lipsticks, you know, a pack of cigarettes, you know, and they're laughing their ass off the whole time. Oh, this chick just gave me fellatio for a pack of cigarettes, cost me three bucks. And then we're in the dorm laughing at him. Oh, you know, all I had to do was two minutes. It was disgusting. And then I got $400. But like I said, it's, it's a lose-lose situation for anybody involved in that. And then once you want to stop, you can't. Until he's done with you, you, you don't stop. Facing hundreds of serious complaints ranging from abuse, death, dorms filled with mold and vermin, and retaliation for reporting abuse, a new warden, Angela Gordon, was brought in to run the prison in March. I started walking around and meeting the staff and looking at what they were doing and how they were doing it, and I found that just like every other place I've worked, there's a lot of good people here doing a lot of good things. Uh, do we have bad apples? I I'm sure we do. Uh, every organization does, but the thing is, Myself and my administration here in the department as a whole, we were stressing that that's not something that we're going to tolerate. If we find that a staff is doing something wrong, we're reporting it, we're letting it go through the process, and if it's determined that they are doing something, then we're utilizing the discipline process just as swiftly as we can to take care of that, yeah, up to and including termination in some, some cases. If you want to believe that, go ahead. I don't live in fantasy land. I wouldn't say that there's only a few bad apples. There's the majority of them. The new norm is constant threats. Do you want to eat dirt? Do you want to get sprayed? And you're an effing this and an effing that and an effing retard. And it goes on and on. And it's not getting any better. It doesn't matter how many people you put in admin. You can rotate it, you can fire, you can put new. It's still going to be the same on this compound. You got to take this place and shake it upside down and start brand new or bring the feds in. The feds are the only ones 
that are going to shake this place up and make it run right. In 2006, the FDC hired an independent company to study prison operations and report on what needed fixing. The report that was issued focused on Lowell more than any other prison. It zeroed in on serious problems with staff-offender sexual relations, unprofessional and demeaning interaction between staff and inmates, poor quality medical care, and an unusually high number of inmates on psychotropic medications. Recommendations were offered for making things right. Some inmates and staff say, and records suggest, the conditions may have worsened. The staff at Lowell, there's at least 40% that are that are corrupt, that are not doing the, the right thing. Baron Bergner transferred as a corrections officer from Madison Correctional to Lowell in 2009 and moved up the ranks to become a sergeant in 2012. Some of the corruption uh, goes on from sex, drugs, money, um, there was just all kinds of corruption at Lowell. In uh, June, while I was out for surgery, I decided that it was time for myself to leave Lowell because I was tired of seeing all the corruption. I was tired of dealing with it, telling supervisors every day and um, day and night that there's dirty staff at Lowell and that they're not doing anything about it. A frequent complaint by current and former inmates alike is the lack of proper medical care at the prison. Tanya Yelvington spent 16 years at Lowell for a DUI manslaughter charge, a sentence that she says nearly cost her her life due to inadequate medical treatment in prison. It's just totally inhumane. If you don't have a family member um, to fight your battles for you, you will die in the Department of Corrections because there is no medical. They do the least as possible. Um, they will go to the length of letting you die or misdiagnose you to save the state money. Um, in 2008, I uh, felt a lump in my right breast. Um, I went to medical, and because of my family history of um, breast cancer, I automatically wanted to have the biopsy. I felt the lump there. I had the lump 14 months before I ever got a biopsy. 14 months, and it went from a pea size to a golf ball size. It went from a one centimeter to a 2.5 centimeter, and it left my breast and went to my lymph nodes. He said, depending on treatment, uh, you'll have three to five years to live. I'm sorry for that, having to tell you that, Michelle Wilkinson. Yelvington had a double mastectomy while serving her time that left her horribly mutilated. She says that while recovering from the surgery, she contracted an infection that nearly killed her. Third war countries get better medical than we get. There is no medical. There is none. And there never will be because we're just a number to society. At least half of my complaints are medical related. Um, anything from inadequate care to not getting their medication in a timely manner. Um, for the most part, you know, through our grievance process, everything that I see, very few of them are actually found to be legitimate. And in the issues that I've had the families come to me with, when I go back to my medical department, I look and they list for me everything that's been done. They're doing their jobs. It may not be exactly what the inmate thinks that they should be getting, but the inmates are receiving care for the most part. Gordon believes the medical and abuse complaints don't give the full picture of Lowell and that the rules and structure put in place are important for the inmates and staff alike. They're here because they broke the rules in the free world. And if they continue to come in to the prison system and be allowed to continue to break the rules, they haven't learned anything. So yes, we do have a discipline process. Yes, we enforce the rules. Is it a hell hole? Is it the worst thing in the world? No, ma'am. It is not in any way. Just because 
you make a bad choice or a bad decision or whatever it is that puts you in prison, it doesn't mean that you're an animal. It doesn't mean that you can't be treated humane. It doesn't mean that you're a piece of meat. What needs to happen is that even if you go to prison, whatever your reason is, that you're going to be okay while you're in there and you have the chance to get out and be okay. It's so corrupt and on such a large scale. I don't know if it's fixable. In all honesty, I, I don't know if there's a way to eliminate it. I wish it would change for uh, the staff and for the inmates, but honestly, I, I just don't see it in the near future. I think it's going to take a lot to change it. Because it's a cesspool of inhumanity and how they can lay their head down at night and sleep knowing that this is going on. I don't know how they do it. How do you do that? How? I don't understand. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Horrific. What is amazing to me is you hear the young ladies talking about the abuse and you have a warden come back and say, is it, is it horrible? Is it bad? No. What are you talking about? How in the world? And I'm sitting there and I'm just saying to the guys, everybody, uh, what, what interview is she listening to? She gets the, the liberty and luxury of going home. You know, she stays there eight hours a day. And let me, you know, I mean, let's be real. I mean, we really need to be real about this. You can't sit on the outside when you have luxury going home to your family, to your bed, and you don't live in that situation to, to formulate an opinion that says, oh, it's not that bad. Well, go ahead and just swap out your life for a week. Yeah, leave month. her in there. Yeah, and, and, and do that. You do, I mean, because when you listen to this, this is the thing that really upsets me about this whole situation. They're constantly, constantly hearing this. And so how – but you're going to say out of these hundred people, they're saying this situation is bad, poor health care, uh, poor uh, food. I, I was battered. I was abused. I was molested. I was touched. I was all this stuff. A hundred people come and tell you that, and then you have enough nerve to stand there and look at them and say, well, it's not that bad, and it's not that bad of a situation. Okay, then. You subject yourself to it. Then. Oh, absolutely right. Um, this is the problem why the system is not fixed. Let me be very clear on one point. There are good correctional officers. There are good deputies. There are, uh, we had Natalie Cohen on here on our show, a former correctional officer uh, who had a heart to stand up for what was right. So let me be very clear. And I say this to everybody listening to this program, if you're just joining us, uh, we're not talking about every officer. We're not talking about every deputy. But we are, t we are focusing on the ones that are getting it wrong, the ones that are getting away with it. And if you are complicit in the abuse by simply remaining quiet. We saw a clip about a week ago where a lady's at the front counter. The, the deputy's going through this lady's purse. She steps up, handcuffed. The officer, the correct, the deputy, the lady deputy slams her to the wall, to the floor, cracking her head open on the floor. 
And they showed a clip where they showed a part of the scene where and a fellow officer, deputy, cringed when she saw it, but walked away. Why didn't you stop her? Why didn't you correct her and say, you can't do that? That's what changes the culture. Speaking up and, and crying out against this type of behavior. This is the only thing going to stop that is voices and being voices for those who have become voiceless. Samson, you had a thought? Yeah, it, what really disturbed me is when, she saw, when uh, the, the warden decided to point out, the, oh, they broke the law in civilized you know, society. But it's like, just because somebody may or may not have done something doesn't mean they should be treated like any less of a human being when they're behind the wall. I mean, there's too many articles. I was sitting here reading during the break how, you know, just in February, six correctional officers in Pennsylvania were convicted with the longest one had a streak of over 14 years of abusing women behind the wall. But it's just it's just tolerated, you know, because according to this warden, you know, they have their own little correction, you know, their own discipline system there. And it's just not right. You know, the, the standards of how a human being should be treated shouldn't change just behind just because they're you know behind the wall. They need to be if they're going to be truly rehabilitated, then let's do that. Let's reach out. Let's show them some compassion. Let's, you know, get them back to being a functional, contributing member of society rather than treating them like second class citizens. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And the bottom line is it's not our place to abuse people. What makes us any different as Americans? If we do exactly the same thing, we would be outraged. If I got a call and my, my sister had been abused or my, my mother had been abused, people would be outraged. How could you do that? But you remain silent behind the wall of cowardness and you allow this abuse to continue. And every deputy, every deputy sheriff, uh, deputy guard rather, or correctional officer that knows that has knowledge of this abuse, and you remain silent to protect a culture, you are equally as guilty of the abuser. And Mont, that's what I was gonna the point I was gonna make is that this warden on that on that uh, interview, she is basically telling the correction officers, the guards that are committing these heinous crimes and acts against these inmates, that it's okay. You know, the way I see it is. Uh, pretty much they deserve. They committed a crime out in the free world. They're here now. They're just going to have to put up with it. That's what she's saying. She's telling the guards and the correction officers that it's okay what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Yeah, we got some bad apples, but uh, we're working on it. So if you want to keep abusing the inmates, that's what they deserve, and that's what I'll accept as the warden. That is the culture that she's building there in that prison by those statements Absolutely. on national uh, television saying – it's okay. You're not doing that bad of a job. There's no need to change the way you're doing your job. You're the one under pressure, not the women in here that are getting raped, that are getting beaten, that are getting abused, that are getting killed, that are getting shackled while they're uh, trying to while they're in labor. To that warden, there's nothing wrong with those situations, as long as her correctional officers are are uh, are there coming to work she's okay with whatever abuse goes on behind those bars and that's not gonna that's not gonna work uh uh, uh clef and this is listen this is one warden you know how many women's prisons we have in this country this is one warden and we should be outraged uh, uh by that right now i'm bringing we're very honored and privileged to bring back with uh, to our show tonight kathy morse uh, she joined us the other night a uh, former detainee uh, Rikers Island, and boy, I'll tell you, she gave some insight to us. We're excited to have her back tonight. 
uh, to give her get, give definitely get her perspective on the issue with the women being behind the wall, being abused behind the wall in county jails as well as uh, pres- in the prisons across this country. And Kathy, are you with us? I'm here. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. And Kathy, thank you so much for, for taking time this evening for being a part of this show. And I don't know how much you've heard thus far, but this is we're dealing with the abuse of women, some of the horrific things that are happening to our mothers, our sisters, uh, our grandmothers in many cases is uh, horrific. And I'm sure you've seen some things, as you shared a little bit with us the other night at Rikers, being there and seeing some of the things that had gone on. What are your thoughts as we talk about this tonight and what perspective can you bring to the table, if you will, of what you may have seen and you can share with our listeners some of the horrific things. I know we talked the other night about uh, 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 some of the detainees, a detainee actually being raped, if you actually, not raped, I'm sorry, beaten or assaulted uh, in, in a type mm-hmm. of a fight or whatever. And uh, basically, if, if you guys stepped forward or did any, uh, came to try to even break up the fight, uh, you were punished uh, for trying to intercede and to, and to do that. So give us your thoughts a little bit. You can reintroduce yourself to our listeners, and we're going to get into this dialogue without question. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, my name is Kathy Morris. Um, I was formally detained on Rikers Island, and then I subsequently did four and a half years in New York State Correctional Facilities. Since my release, I have become an advocate on behalf of women um, who are still incarcerated, as well as women who have returned to the community. Um, When I left, I promised the women that I left behind that I would be their voice in the community. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, And I will not shut up. And I will tell their stories. And I will continue to tell their stories Um, no matter how horrific they may be. Um, But we need to know. We need to get these stories out to the public, and we need to make the public aware that this is exactly what's going on. Um, You know, that what you are hearing is not exaggerated or false in any way, um, nor is it justified. Um, At the end of the day, we are all human beings, and we should all be treated as such. And that is something that needs to be stressed to anyone who works in a correctional facility um, or anyone who has the idea of wanting to work in a correctional facility that these are human beings and they deserve the same amount of respect as you would expect to receive. I can tell you that the health, yeah, I can tell you that the health care is horrific. Um, It is not even health care. Oftentimes you will hear about people getting unnecessary um, procedures. You will hear about people getting um, incorrect procedures. I've personally, myself, had an instance where they told me that I had breast cancer and it turned out that it was false. Um, And I told them that I would not allow any surgery until I was released. So that I, I, I took, I personally took on that risk because I refused to allow them to touch me. Um, I had another another personal instance where I slipped on a patch of ice and fell and had a concussion. Um, I did not see any doctors. I all they did was had they had did an X-ray. I saw some nurse. They sent me back to my housing unit with the instructions that um, the people in my housing unit 
wake me up every two to three hours. And wow. that was it. For a concussion. Um, yeah. Um, I personally was also sexually assaulted. Um, I never reported it. Um, because I didn't trust anybody. You know, um, what happened was I was being, I was on Rikers and they were moving me from reception. And what that is, is you're, you sit there for two to three days while they wait for your TB test results to come back. And then they classify you and they move you. So I said to the officer, where am I going? And he said to me, don't worry, we're sending you to the Hilton of housing units and the women there will take care of you. Three days later, I was sexually assaulted in the shower. Um, that's how the woman took care of me. So I never funny. reported it. Um, yeah. You know, they they use the mop handles and the broom handles and the toilet plungers that were um, left in the bathroom for them to, because the bathroom and shower were all in, sa- in the same area. Um, and the showers were an open area with the shower heads on one side of the three walls there. And um, they were told me that they were teaching me a lesson. They had heard that I was a snitch. Hmm. And I never went to medical. I, I laid in, in my bed um, and was just grateful for the um, very generous supply of toilet tissue and sanitary pads that they had that I was able to use to um, stop the bleeding or staunch the bleeding. And um, I laid in bed um, at night um, praying that I would die. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I, I appreciate um, Wow. That's a lot. You know, yeah. Um, but I was also there when there were three women who were on psychotropic medication. And everybody knows that people who take psychotropic medications have a sensitivity to heat. And in the summer, they should be in a climate-controlled housing unit. These women were not placed in a climate-controlled housing unit. And... Um, the three of them over a six-week period literally boiled to death inside because of the excessive heat in in their units. Um, they had no access to fans. They had no access to ice. Um, and they died. It was three women over a six-week period. Um, I hmm? That was at no. Rikers. Yeah, so... The things I mean, they, they're aware. I mean, medical is aware that they shouldn't be housed there. Mental health is aware that they should not be housed in a housing unit that is not climate controlled. Um, and you're in these units and it's cinder blocks and you have a, a very little slit for a window. That's if you can even get it open. So there's no ventilation whatsoever. And at night you're locked in this cell. And it's a solid door. Hmm. And that's what happened. They, they, you know, in one, in one instance, um, the woman passed away in her sleep and they did not discover her till five hours later. 
because obviously the officer who was supposed to be doing the rounds never did the rounds. Yeah, my understanding is the rounds are each hour. Uh, yes, they're supposed to be um, each hour. They're supposed to record it in a book that they right. keep. Um, they're also, you know, they're supposed to check. Um, I was in ultimately placed in a dorm, so it was an open area with 63 beds in, in, in a big open room, kind of like a gymnasium. Yeah. And the officer that I did have, because she did find somebody at one point in her career dead in the bed, what she now did was she would actually kick the bed every time she did her rounds, so it would jolt you awake. So every night that she was on, this is what she did just to make sure you were alive. Um, there was another instance where I was um, cellmates with a woman who was going through chemotherapy and she was dying. And they did not move her into medical. They kept her in general population and I became her nurse. And that is something it's, I, you know, going through cancer and, and chemotherapy is difficult enough when you're at home. Yeah. Um, but when you're incarcerated and you're calling out for the nurse and no one is answering you, um, it's pretty bad. All right, Kathy, um, we're going to, we're going to give you an opportunity to exhale if you will. And digest, we're going to digest, our listeners are going to digest what we just heard. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you went through that. And this is why uh, we must become the voice for the voiceless. And your yes. voice, for those that you said, I will be your voice, mm-hmm. uh, they should be proud of your voice that you advocate and speak out against this stuff. You said, I'm not going to shut up. Well, thank God you're not. No. Um, no. I'm, and they tried to shut me up. Believe me, my probation officer tried to silence me. Um, um, and it did not work. Um, he would tell me that um, he could lock me up just because he could. Mm-hmm. You know, that he could put me in for 45 days while they investigated whatever he wrote up, whatever alleged allegations he said, you know, things that I did, violations that I did um, while I would sit in jail chilling my heels and it was basically to teach me a lesson and that was to not embarrass him by going public with these things. But I am no longer on parole so I don't have to really worry about him anymore. Well, we're going to come right back. Uh, Kathy, if you got a few more minutes with us. uh, Absolutely. We appreciate you so much and uh, Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you think that your voice doesn't matter, think again. We will not rest. We will not stop. We will continually here on AJC Radio let the world know that we have a problem. Prison reform to all the congressmen and senators on Capitol Hill that listen to this show. It's time that action be taken now. This is AJC Radio Voices from Behind the Wall. The terror continues. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, 
I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. The voices behind the wall continue. We are honored and privileged tonight to have Kathy Moores shared some information tonight that is heart-wrenching. And folks, you better get your clinics box out. Because what we're hearing tonight is enough to tear your heart apart. The abuse, the horror, just from what Kathy has shared with us tonight, one person from Rikers Island, a detainee there, and said, I will not be silenced by, by anyone for the horrors and the terror that I endured, and please forgive me because I cannot adequately uh, state that correctly of exactly the level of horror that must have been. Kathy, thank you so much for coming back with us. Are you here? Are you with us? Yes. Um, And I wanted to um, talk about one other thing. You know, people talk a lot about shackling and the handcuffing of pregnant women. And to me, it goes further than them just, you know, when they're in labor and delivery. Um, When I was on Rikers, I was with a woman. She was pregnant with twins. Um, And she and her husband were co-defendants. So he was also um, detained on Rikers in another facility. And we were going to court. And when you go to court on Rikers, you get handcuffed um, and shackled. And then you get chained to another person. And then you get herded out into this very small, dirt-covered parking lot where they board you onto the different buses that are going out to the different borough courts. Because Rikers houses people, you know, handles everybody, you know, the five boroughs. So, you, you know, you've got Staten Island, you've got the Bronx, you've got Queens, everywhere, Manhattan. And um, she happened to be going to Manhattan, which is where I was going. And we were walking out in the parking lot, and one of the prison buses was backing up. And it hit her. And because she was handcuffed and shackled, she had no way of protecting herself or her babies. Um, and she just, um, she just dropped to the ground and, um, I can still hear her, hear her voice to this day screaming, my babies, my babies. Um, and there was nothing anybody could do except for the officers because everybody else was handcuffed and shackled. Um, she lost her babies. And um, because her husband was uh, detained on Rikers as well, 
she had no way of getting in touch with him to let him know. So she had to write him a letter um, to let him know that they lost the babies. Um, As a result of what happened to her, Rikers changed their policy and pregnant women are transported on um, vans now and they're um, not as restricted in their handcuffing and shackling when they're going to court. I guess my point is, is that just removing, you know, the handcuffs and that while they're in labor and delivery is not enough. You know, these women need to have that freedom of movement when they're going to court as well in in the unlikely event that something should happen to them. Absolutely. But I will never forget. I will never forget what happened to Maria that day. And our... Uh, um, wow. And and then the sense, you know, your your natural reaction is to want to do something, to want to help and do something. But there was not a darn thing any of us could do. And that is, you know, that's that's one of the things that I carry with me to this day. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, this is, what do you say? What do you do here? But the information, with knowledge, there's power. Knowledge mm-hmm. doesn't always feel good because it is one of those things that to know something but it drives you to change it. And that's why I admire you, Kathy, so much. Go ahead, please. Um, and it's important to me to speak out because so many times we hear what happens to the men and there's no voices of what happened to the women. Um, and there's a lot of horrific things that do happen to women. And a lot of times it's just by nature that women have a tendency to suffer in silence and not want to speak out. No, absolutely. Um, and, and, and in order for any change to happen, we need to speak out. As painful as it may be, um, it's also part of the healing process. Yes. And it's important to talk about it and get it out. Oh, um, I... and, the more, and the more people in the community hear our stories, the more outraged they will be become and the more they will want to do something and that's what we need no absolutely kathy and uh right now i'm going to bring uh francis sanchez into this conversation she joined us the other night uh, in regards to how her husband uh, has been treated in solitary confinement the abuse going on there Mm -hmm. i believe spring texas or big spring correctional facility we're going to bring her in she was actually a former uh sheriff or uh, deputy, I believe, at Midland County Sheriff's Department uh, for a little while. She yes. talked to her right, mm-hmm. and she shared some of her things with us. Francis, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing tonight? How are you doing, Francis? I'm good. Thank you. We're really glad to have you back on our program, and uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to announce that uh, what we committed to the other night, you and I had an opportunity to talk, uh, has been the the Things have been put in motion, uh, and I, I, I thank you for the uh, reference that you did receive the letter sent to the Bureau of Prisons, the director, 
as well as Big Spring uh, Correctional Facility. Uh, that letter has also been sent to them requesting immediate action be taken. So we want to we want to let you know that the wheels are in motion for justice and hopefully some relief for uh, your husband and your family. Okay. Um, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. No, you're very welcome. I'm going to play a clip really quick, for, uh, Francis and Kathy. I'm going to come back, Francis. We're going to get we're going to talk to you. We're going to talk to Kathy, folks. And I believe we have callers in Q Cliff as well. Is that correct? Uh, we're going to come back and bring and hear from some of these callers that have something to say. Uh, right now, uh, this is a, an abuse that happened in New Mexico by guards. Unbelievable uh, what happened to this young lady. Let's hear what the clip had to say. Stand up. Face the wall. And do not move. What's your name? Face the wall. Stop resisting. Yes, you were. Stay right there. Don't move. I need you to be quiet. Quiet. Stay there until we're done. Put her in a wrist lock and twist her wrist until she shuts up and stops crying. Quiet. That's the point. Ah, yeah. Clearly, you need to reconsider your choices in life if this is how you're going to react when you get made. Miss Chavez, we're going to go back to the floor. We're going to the shower as soon as you're done with this life services interview. Stop it. Really? You're going to start crying? Oh, Stop moving, stop moving, stop moving. I'm going to tase you. Lamb, uh, she gets 
uh, drive stun a couple times. Um, I'm not sure how many. I actually had to apply because she transferred from her taser to a wrist lock. Had to put her on the ground. It, the taser didn't seem to be working, so she was going through alternative force methods. Um, finally got her to where we could get her off the level. She's, you can see the behavior, screaming and yelling. We're coming down the main hallway. Uh, we, we held her up because we're like, we're not going anywhere until you're quiet. But ultimately, we put her on the floor. Put her, not don't slam, just put her on the floor. And uh, the um, the uh, uh, then she starts banging her head on on the floor. That's what caused the the uh, inflammatory agent being applied to her face. Of course, that stopped that behavior. But we've been putting up with I'm dying ever since. And uh, you know, I'm not sure where to go with the the. Uh, uh, self mutilation. I don't know. I shouldn't say she wanted to hurt herself. Okay. She didn't say she wanted to kill herself. Self mutilation. Yeah, the banging. Okay. It was it was dedicated and to the point. Okay. There was, <laughs> was motivation. Now what's fun? What I was saying there is what's funny, officer. I saw the video clip of that young lady. She was tortured. There was no banging her head on the floor. None of that. She's begging and pleading for you to stop. I saw the video. So to the, to, to the New Mexico jail guards that made this statement, you are a liar. I saw you on video doing what you did to this woman. And what they do is, this is what's irritating to me. They make their little report. What are you laughing about? This wasn't the first time this officer was laughing. He started laughing during the the, the beginning. The officer made the statement. Twist her wrist until she shuts up. So don't come on here with your follow-up interview with the media or your reporting or whoever you have in there and tell us, well, you know, we have to do some force. We didn't slam her to the ground. We, you did exactly that. That is infuriating to me that you would do this to this lady and her cries somehow do not matter. Samson? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely there with you, Lamont. I mean, I'm just, I'm absolutely disgusted just having to listen to this kind of stuff because the woman is pleading with the people that she knows that they have an they have an authority to figure over her. She's pleading with them to to leave her be, to give her some type of of respite from the the damage that they're doing her. You hear her ask for water because you know uh, they've obviously pepper sprayed her. And then he says like, well, maybe you should reconsider your choices or the things you do when you're pepper sprayed. Nobody in their right mind is going to react calmly to having an adjutant sprayed in their face. You're going to react. You're going to try and get it out of your eyes. Your, your face is going to get irritated. Your eyes are going to water. I mean, all these things are going to happen. It's a natural human reaction, what she was doing. All she's trying to do is ask them for help. That's it. That's it. Francis, give me your thoughts on that. You said you had a couple of things to share with us tonight. That's one of many examples. And again, folks, let me make it very plain. On the video, there was no resisting at all by this young lady. None. No resisting. Stop resisting. Why? Before you kill me? You need to say that for the record before you kill me. Stop resisting. 
There was no resistance. She said, I'm not resisting. The fact that you can answer that and say I'm not doing it should give you an indication how non-out of control this young lady was. And they continued to torment this woman. Francis, give me your thoughts on this. Well, it's it's very disturbing um, in my short time of my employment with the jail. Like I said, um, I don't feel like it's exaggerated in, because I do know that these things go on. Um, as I was sharing with you before, just one case comes to mind specifically, and it's probably still pending, and I don't know that she's still there or if she... She is or isn't, but I can remember a girl coming through booking. And we do a mental health screening because it's required by law. Um, And the girl reported having, I think she probably reported having schizophrenia. And there was another coworker of mine on another shift that should provoke the inmates from time to time. And I remember as we were changing shifts, I don't even know if she was doing overtime. I don't recall the situation. But I remember having to aid and putting her in the restraint chair, and the lady was at the top of the restraint chair, and she kept choking her. And the girl bit her. But, I mean, to me, it was a normal human response because, I mean, if, if I was being choked, I probably would respond the same way. And... Yeah. At the end of at the end of that, I remember going to the bathroom and crying, and nobody could understand why I was crying, and I wasn't even the one being choked. Mm-hmm. But it was this, it was so disturbing because I mean, like like we're saying, who in their right mind is okay with this? Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, this girl was put in. And this isn't booking, the booking area. At the end of this, this girl is, she's charged with assault on a public servant. She's put in special housing. That's where she was housed at as a supermax inmate for assault on a public servant. And again, she's she's obviously got some mental health issues because she stated it when she came in. But she was provoked to being put in that chair. And I, I, I don't even know what happened because I came in at the end of it and what I was assisting with was with the foot. But, I mean, immediately yeah. after that, I had requested to be put back in the blocks again because I, I, booking at that time was just too much for me. I mean, my employment was short. It was a seven-month seven span. But when it comes... I, I think the mentality in corrections in general needs to change. When you come in and they start teaching you immediately that it's us against them, that's wrong in general because they are people. And we're all the same. We're all human beings. And we should be, all be treated with dignity and respect. The punishment alone is being there. Absolutely. And it, it's just baffling people are okay with it as as everybody keeps stating just because somebody has a badge and I'm not understanding how all of a sudden the law changes or the rules change because people have the title of law enforcement officers. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, I'm so disillusioned with the system. Yes. And that makes all of us. I think a lot of people are. And the more people hear this, uh, you have to put it out there. It's not the easiest conversation to have, but you better have it. And you know what? The conversation becomes easier as you understand that those behind the wall can't have that conversation without getting hit, without getting hurt, without something happening. Uh, Those are the things that uh, are issues. Uh, Cliff, we have a caller on who has a comment. Yes, we have uh, Sharon that wants to make a comment about what she's heard tonight. Sharon, you're live. Yes, thank you so much. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for the AJC organization. I am so glad that you have this to put the truth out there and the awareness of what's really going on behind the wall. And Kathy... I am so sorry for what you had to go through. Listening to your story, I mean, that was horrible. And then talking about the other incidents that uh, that happened, something really needs to be done about this because people should not be treated that way no matter what you've done. And you know what I find out is that people don't seem to care or get involved until it happens to them or somebody in their family. And we need we need more people standing up and demanding change because if we don't, nothing will happen. And no one should ever have to go through that type of abuse. It's, it's, it is horrible. And I, I, I'm just... I was just so upset how how people are treated, you know? And and I just want to say that um thanks so much because we need this this needs to get out there. It really needs to get out there and something needs to be done. And thank you so much for taking my call. And thank you for the call, and uh, we echo that, uh, Kathy, as well. Um, I'm going to play a clip for you folks. Uh, parental advisory advice. Clear the kitties probably out the room for this uh, clip. Um, serious business. Some of the abuse going on behind the wall and what is happening with the suffering of the women of this nation behind the wall. Sexual, physical, and mental abuse. That's what former women prisoners in a Florida facility claim they were forced to endure. They're now suing the state for damages. RC's Maria Fenoshina investigates. I am an ex-inmate of the Florida Department of Corrections. Crystal Harper says she'd rather die than go back to a place she just left, and for a very particular reason. It was a means of legal prostitution. He grabbed my my butt and told me, you know, this is going to be mine. Just that fast. I hadn't even been in prison for 24 hours. Either you play their game or you get raped. Crystal chose to play alone, she says, just to survive. Every day for five years, she would have to accept indecent proposals in exchange for basic needs and security. So what do you charge for some What do I got to do to get my up around here? What would you want if I wanted to 
you train your mind and you train your body to numb it out. If I would have walked around prison like that 24-7, I'd have committed suicide a long time ago. It's laying on your bunk in the middle of the night, realizing what you had to do that day, the day before, the week before. Crystal was the first to speak up about the abuse in the Florida facility, but many more followed, all with shocking stories to tell. I've had a lieutenant come through night shift and write on the back of a notepad and hold it up to my window, little notes, numerous different times, um, one of them saying, uh, get naked, get doggy style, get on all fours, show me your vagina, and, and he's not the only one. The worst the girls complain is that the whole system is corrupted and there is nobody to ask for help. I just want it to be a place where you can serve your time and get your get your life together and then get out and get on with your life. There's no reason why any woman should have to go in there and endure so much punishment sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, like that's just way beyond what the judge said that you were going to have to do. We meet Crystal in Texas where she ran fearing for her life after she was followed by a known man and someone broke into her house. I don't know if it was the state, I don't know who it was, I have no idea. The only thing that I could register in my mind is, Crystal, you're going up against the state of Florida and you're still in Florida, like... Why wouldn't they try to hurt me or kill me? But sexual abuse is far from the only allegation. The Department of Corrections was supposed to do a double mastectomy. This is what I got. Literally butchered. I left all of this here. All of this is a chance for the cancer to come back in. Tanya believes the surgery could have been avoided in the first place if she was checked on time. It took Tanya's sister 16 months to convince the facility administration to check Tanya's breast long enough for the cancer to damage her body. Does Department of Corrections care? You can look at me and tell, no, they do not. I look in the mirror every day and see what they did to me and refuse to fix me. How can you not hate such animals? The prison promises changes soon, but Tanya says in the 16 years she has been there, nothing ever changed. They will save the state money at any cost. They will allow you to die. The prison system in Florida is a, it's a billion dollar business. It's all about money. It's all about, it's not about keeping the streets safe. We contacted the facility, but they only agreed to an interview by telephone. We remind them that we are not here um, to punish, that that was the court's job, that we are here to ensure the inmate's safety and to ensure that they are returned to society and a better status basically than they were when they came to us. These women are suing the state of Florida in a federal court. The women's attorney says it's not just about individual cases, but rather cultural impunity. In the deep south of the United States, there has been a history of ignoring people's civil rights. The Department of Corrections is still in that mentality of, um, listen, we're gonna do what we wanna do, don't question us, and um, these officers feel empowered to take advantage of people because they know that the department isn't going to come in and investigate properly and no, they believe that nobody will believe these inmates anyway. David expects the case will take several years to resolve, but the women will win. What's less certain is whether the conditions that allegedly caused their suffering will change as well.
This behind me is the Loyal Correctional Institution, Florida's first prison for women and, since last year, America's biggest. The stories we just heard took place here, and the inmates we spoke to say the suffering inside never stops. Well, there you have it. Let me share this with you. African-American woman who was arrested for a minor traffic violation said she was brutally, brutally assaulted by a rookie Jacksonville Sheriff's Office Corrections Officer. Report WJCT. Corinda Welch was on her way home from her son's basketball game with her two sons in the car when she was stopped and cited for driving with a suspended license. Welch was arrested for the violation on June 29th and taken into custody. She denied knowing that her license was suspended at the time of her arrest. Welch said her troubles began when the 21-year-old newly appointed officer, Catherine Thompson, began to pat her down. And this was where the hell started. Welch said she and the officer had words over the pat down. From that point on, it says she went back, basically back and forth all night with the officer. Welch, who was pregnant, complained about the jail attire she was forced to put on, saying that the pants she was given gave her an allergic reaction and that Thompson was reluctant to give her a new uniform. I said to her, you're one of those cops. You give cops a bad name, recalled Welch. Welch's attitude got her placed in a four-point restraint with her hands in handcuffs, tethered to leg shackles and a chain, explained JSO undersheriff Pat Ivey, who believed that Welch said something to infuriated the, that infuriated the officer. By the time I could ask her to loosen up those shackles, she punched me dead in my forehead, closed fist, alleges Welch of Thompson's behavior. I was in shock that was happening to me. I fell. I was back on my back. She grabbed my head with both her hands and slammed the left side of my head into the concrete wall and kept punching me. Thompson allegedly beat Welch several times, calling her Kunta Kente while punching her relentlessly. The pregnant mother contends she was defenseless as Thompson also sprayed her face with pepper spray. She fought back and bit the officer's hand in the, in the middle. My eyes burned so bad, she said, I've never felt anything like that before. A lot to Kunta Kente? To an African-American pregnant woman that you have slammed her head into a concrete wall. And you want to go back to Kunta Kinte. Now, ladies and gentlemen who may not know who Kunta Kinte is, I'll tell you right now, it was during the slave time in this country. And if anybody knows about a movie called Roots, okay? This is where it shows the oppression and the beatings and this true stories of what African-Americans suffered during the slave time in this country. And for an officer to beat an African-American pregnant woman and cite those words, that says it all as far as where we are as a nation. Uh, Kathy, let me get your thoughts first on this. Uh, you beat a pregnant woman that bad while she's carrying a baby who's innocent? Your thoughts, Kelly? They have a Well, they have a total disregard for human life. Um, some of these people, you give them a badge and they immediately go on like a power trip 
Um, it's very difficult to listen to these stories. Um, you know, things, I think what happens is things that happen when you're incarcerated um, and you just can't process them at the time. So what you will do is you will make yourself numb and you'll forget about these things and you'll lock them away in this the dark recesses of your mind until you're ready to um, process them. And a lot of times that happens years after you are released. Um, mm-hmm. But all I can say is there is a there is this mindset that they have that um, and, and they will say to you constantly that, you know what? Well, then don't come to jail. You shouldn't have broken the law. You know, um, you must like it here if you keep coming back. And, and you know, they have no humanity and one has to wonder how they can how they can live with themselves when they treat especially the women so hard. I mean, when they not only violently abuse them, but sexually abuse them, verbally abuse them. And then they turn around and they walk away and they laugh about it. Um, And it's just like, have they no conscience? Doesn't, how do they, how don't they struggle with this? Um, you know, and how can they live with themselves? And then you begin to realize there's something seriously wrong with these individuals and they're the ones who should be, be behind bars and not you. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, and, and, and you have to say, you know, in a lot of instances for some of these correctional departments, the screening that they have for the correctional officers is nowhere near as thorough or intense as it is to try to get a job with a police department. Right. That, you know, Rikers, you've got people in there who don't even have a high school diploma. They may have a GED and that's it. Um, And, you know, we discussed this the other night. They come from the same neighborhoods as the detainees. They, you know, they hang out on the same street corners in the same bodegas. Um, Some of the women would tell me, you know, oh, gee, you know, he, you know, I was a prostitute and he picked me up, you know, um, just, and it's, to me, it was just totally mind boggling because I, you know, this is exposing me to a whole different culture, but I knew based on what I saw that this is wrong. This is demented. This is sick. Um, and I know of people down in Florida and they've told me the stories. I've got mothers down there who are besides themselves with worry over their daughters that are, you know, incarcerated, Um, you know, and what's going to happen to them. And, you know, I, I, you know, they say, you know, my daughter tries to tell me stuff, but she doesn't want to say it over the phone because they're, you know, she's afraid the call might be recorded. And I mean, just all kinds of things. And you begin to realize that, you know what? It's not isolated to Rikers or it's not isolated to Florida. This stuff is going in jails and prisons across the country, but we're not hearing about it. And we need to hear about it. We need to expose this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Francis, your thoughts. 
again, like I said, it's just very, it's very heartbreaking. Um, it's, it just, it's just all too familiar the story, and yeah, it's just a repeat of what I saw within the seven months that I was employed at the jail. And I could tell you story after story, horror story after horror story. And the one thing that I do disagree with is that I really don't think that there's any type of screening process that they can put you through that's going to make it any better. I think a lot of it has to do with when you get in because you go through a psychological evaluation and when you're dealing with people that know how to lie, I think it's just a matter of morals and ethics and either they're there or you're or it's not, and it's not something you can learn, and it's not something that can be taught. And and here's what's and, amazing. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Francis. I'm, I was just going to say it's seriously lacking in the correctional system. Mm-hmm. What's amazing to me, if I have to teach someone to be a human being, right. I have to teach kindness. Let's just let's just say human decency. Should I have to teach? Should I have to teach a person treat these people with respect, or does it come natural as a human being to do the right thing to another human being? I said this before. The golden rule is the sticker. Doing to others. I learned that in third grade in my music class. I'm 49 years old. I never forgot it, let alone the things my mother taught me. You do not mistreat people. How do you just slam another human being's head in the concrete and laugh about it? How do you rape a woman in a prison and hear her tears, see her tears, and you laugh and walk away? Are you kidding me? Teach me to be human? That is uncomprehendable. Samson? I think it's all, but I also think it's not only teaching them to be human. I think it's, they have to have some type of compassion. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Compassion is not taught. It's from the heart. Right. And some of these, I, yeah. You know, I don't think they have a heart, you know, and I don't know whether it's something that, you know, maybe they were bullied as a kid and they're turning around and they're going to bully people now. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, But it's obvious that what they need to do is when they start to see these officers behaving, they need to pull them. They have to pull. They can't have allow them to continue to have contact with individuals who are detained reassign them to a desk or something, but don't put them in with, you know, a vulnerable population. The problem I see, though, is, I mean, I hear what she's saying about reassigning them, but even as I found out, again, like I said, you're taught it's us against them, and if they see you being compassionate, you're told if you find yourself being a friend and you find yourself conversing with these people, and this is what you're told, then you don't belong here, and they start to out you and you become one of them. 
and that is what happened with me. And I was even told by the union, I, I actually have an EEO hearing on the 8th of August against the, against the county because of the events that happened with me. But I'm, I chose not to have the union represent me because it's a law enforcement union. And I was even told by the law enforcement union attorney, the moment they found out your husband was a felon, you became a liability for the department. And that is so true. They're not about compassion. They're not about humanity. And if they see you listening and they see you taking that side or even hearing the inmate out, you became one of them. You're no longer one of your brothers. That is and with that type of a culture, how do you fix it? You have to tear it down. And Samson, I'm coming. I want to get your comments on this. I just came across this uh, from our research team. It says the American prison system has become described as a sexual jungle where there are predators and prey. Experts say some prison officials quietly permit rape as a way to control the population where the predators, the more violent, powerful inmates, are in effect being given a bribe or a reward to cooperate with the prison authorities, says Harvard University criminologist Dr. James Gilligan. As long as they, as long as they cooperate, the prison authorities will permit them to have their victims. Do you, do you believe what I just said? That I, what I just, Samson, your thoughts? Uh, again, it's, just, it's, it's appalling, first off, to hear that over an expired license, this woman was treated this way. I mean, you, you take any person in this room, if it's a female relative of yours or even a female friend, like you wouldn't stand for that. Yet we as a society stand by and we let this happen day in and day out to women across this country that are incarcerated. I mean, I was just sitting here reading an article and it says that 85%, 85% of the women that are behind bars suffer sexual abuse in some way shape form or fashion whether it's by a guard or it's by their, a, uh, a fellow inmate anything like that like you were talking maybe one that get, that got bribed with a favor or something like that but these women are going through this day in and day out and nothing's being done but i mean what happened like you said to to compassion to the golden rule what happened to these people's inalienable rights if it's inalienable that means they're not supposed to be able to take it away from you and the they're in jail some of these women they have not been convicted of a crime. That's right. The presumption of innocence when I go to jail, I can bond out. I am not, I don't have a conviction. If I have a conviction, I should not be treated this way. Cliff, do we have a caller? Yes, we have uh, Liz. <clears throat> Excuse me, Liz, who would like to make a comment. Liz, go ahead, you're live. Yes, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having this platform a just cause to expose the nightmares that are going on this is just so horrible i've been sitting here listening and my stomach hurts literally first of all i want to say kathy my heart goes out to you as well uh i'm so glad you didn't get the medical treatment that would have been horrible to get something done to find out you didn't have breast cancer um i wish that somehow that Everything that happened to you could be all turned away, but I'm glad you're speaking out against it. 
And uh, my, I, I just want to say my heart goes out to you. I'm really so sorry for what you went through. And, Francis, also for you to work and see that, and I'm glad that you didn't stick with it, that job, because you saw what was going on, and you decided to make a stand. And my prayers are with both of you because you're both victims of a horrible nightmare. But I pray one day that this is not just on the radio, but the TV, the world can see how horrible, how inhumane America is treating people. Even if they did something wrong or not, it's still so wrong. It's so wrong. And thank you so much for taking my call. My prayers are with both of you guys. Thank you. And thank you for that. Um, this is this is uh, some serious uh, discussion. We'll take a quick break. Uh, Kathy, if you and Francis uh, can come back with us, I'd like to get your closing thoughts and comments of how do we somehow find our way out of this dark pit that this country has sunk to, uh, and it is what it is. How do we get out of it? One way is what, Kathy, you are doing, Francis, what you're doing, what you've seen, your voice matters. Um, we got to start somewhere. AJC Radio and Adjust Calls starts in that campaign and we will continue indefinitely to become the voice behind the wall. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. This is Julie. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment. Uh, religion. Or prohibiting the free exercise. Thereof. Or abridging the freedom of speech. Or of the press. Or the right. Of the people. Peaceably. To assemble. And to petition. The government. For a redress of grievances. Over a million people sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. 
That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. Gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we're always in search of bringing the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, that campaign continues as we talk about the women of our nation behind the walls whose, whose voices have become silent as a result of abuse in this nation. Rikers Island Correctional Officers are allegedly taking female visitors into bathrooms to illegally strip search and sexually assault them, according to injustice today the report is based on a new information new information rather from the jail's action coalition and five women who filed notices of claim in which they alleged the guards at rikers uh sexually violated them in the bathrooms new york personal injury attorney alan figman represents 45 clients who claim they were sexually abused while visiting at rikers he told injustice today that guards are reportedly taking female visitors into the bathroom where there are no video cameras. Are you kidding me? These folks need some psychological help, man. How are you assaulting the family members? You shouldn't be assaulting anybody, but you're so out of control that you're, you're just, what is the problem? 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like these guys, like uh, like uh, some of our callers have said, like they get behind the wall, they get that badge on, and like they get on, they get on this huge power trip. Like, what kind of pervert do you have to be? These people have traveled, God only knows how far, to come see their family members, and you're trying to get some cheap thrill at their expense. I mean, truly, it's sickening. I mean, I don't, I don't know about anybody else, but it's just, I don't know. It, it makes me nauseous just just to think that somebody that's supposed to be doing a simple search of somebody so they're not bringing in any, in any illegal contraband so they can come visit their family member for a limited amount of time is going to try and grope on someone. And you don't think that family member is going to tell an inmate, I just got assaulted by a guard, and they wonder why a guard takes a ladle to his, to his head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're look, provoking these people. How do you do that? You can only poke the bear for so long until somebody's going to act out. I mean, I'm sorry. And again, I'm not, I'm not just – let me be clear. I'm not – uh, advocating uh, violence, but the, uh, uh, like uh, Francis said earlier, you are provoking some of these people. You're prov- y- y- your mom comes to you out of the bathroom. I was just raped, son. And he's supposed to just sit back and say, this is just the way it is? They're sexually assaulting these family members. My... My opinion, like you said, I'm not advocating violence toward, against, upon anyone. But at that point, th- th- this is self-defense. I'm defending. My mother comes out the bathroom and says, hey, the guard just raped me. And they wonder why all of a sudden you have a guard on the yard and he's, got, he's getting shanked 18, 20 times. But the report, when it comes out, is going to be the inmate attacked a guard. They're not going to tell what happened. I'm sorry, we left that out. He raped my mother during visitation hours. He raped my sister during visitation hours. They're not going to tell that. This is a sickness. Kathy, give me your thoughts on this. That just came to me from our research team. What are your thoughts? Oh, I'm sorry. It's been going on for a while now. <laughs> I mean, really? It's a very hot it's, – it's, it's a hot topic. The local news stations have covered it. Um, does it surprise me? No, because of the culture that's there. Um, they're just pushing it another step, you know, further. Um, if it's not the detainees they're going to go after, well, let's go after the female visitors. Um, and I, I, I said this, or I said this earlier, they feel that, you know, the females are more likely to keep their mouth quiet, you know, to not say anything, maybe out of embarrassment or shame. But then again, you know, they've got that loved one who's detained there. And they don't want any retribution against them either. That's so they're kind of, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, you go in, obviously the women are going in there and they're telling, and it could be their boyfriends, it could be their husbands, it could be, you know, their, you know, their sons that they're telling this. And what are they, how, how are they supposed to react? Exactly. How, you know, how? What, do you, what do you do? Your hands are tied because guess what? If the son or the the husband or whoever does something, not only are they going to go to shoe, but they're going to get new charges. So maybe the family members come out and they're told in that bathroom, if you say anything, we'll kill your loved one. I don't know what their, their I mean, threats I'm, are, but these they, women are now coming out. This has yep. been now going on and has been in the media for well over a year now. Um, it's not something that's been addressed. 
you don't hear, you know, because there's a campaign to close Rikers right now. And, you know, they had a whole commission that convened for over a year and came up with a report and everything else. None of this is addressed in that. It's the same thing as what's going to happen to the women detainees when we close down Rikers. They don't talk about that issue either. They don't talk about where they're going to be housed. None of that is addressed. It's as if women don't exist. You know, I've met people and they're like, oh, I didn't realize women were housed on Rikers. Mm-hmm. Well, gee, where are they going to be housed? You know, um, you know, where are we going to be housed? But it's it's just it's this culture of violence, abuse, and a sexual assault at the hands of the correctional officers, and everybody knows this, and they all talk about it, and it's like it starts at the top and it works its way down, and until you do something about going after the top, it's going to continue. Absolutely. And I remember on one of the clips, the lady said the assistant warden, the A.W. is what they call him, was raping inmates. And it's, it's, it, there's captains that have been charged on Rikers with raping women. Okay? It's, it's, it's just it's this culture. It's this mindset. And it's not going to change until we make enough noise. And until we shine enough light on the issue, um, it just it continues to go on. And it's not only there. The uh, women's state facility in New Jersey is so bad that the United States Attorney General's office had to come in to investigate. Okay, so it's, well, it's, it just goes on everywhere. No, and guess what? You can shut Rikers down. It's going to happen somewhere else. It'll another kingdom. You can you can shut Rikers down. The plan is shut Rikers down, and you're going to. And if you don't address that issue, you're going to have because they're talking about building in its place four community-based facilities. You're going to have four mini Rikers. Absolutely, uh, Kathy. We're we're up against the clock, Francis. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We will we will continue. We haven't even scratched the surface on the abuse of women in prisons. Uh, next no. Tuesday, we will be back here again. Tell everybody you know, Kathy, to tune in. Uh, your voice, I'm, I'm not sure how many more stories you got. We'd love to hear them that we might educate. I've got, I've got plenty of stories. I'd like to invite you back next Tuesday uh, to be a part I'm of this av- show. I am available, and I welcome the opportunity. Thank you so very much, Francis. That invitation goes out since what you have seen as well. Most definitely. This stuff is, uh, how do you sleep after this? We'll have to do our best. But the, right. but, but the fight goes on uh, as the voice of the right. voiceless continues here on AJC Radio on the Just Calls, as well as Kathy Morris, Francis Sanchez. Uh, we're out here together trying to make a difference. Good night until next time, America. And Kathy and uh, Francis, we'll see you next time. To all the callers that called in, thank you for your comments. Those in the chat room, thank you very much. This is AJC Radio, Voices from behind continues good night america
Louisiana Parish claims uh, that it shouldn't be held liable for the rape of a 14-year-old female inmate uh, because of a correctional officer that raped her when he was 40 years old. The reason why they think that they shouldn't be held liable is because it wasn't a forcible rape. In fact, let me read you what one anonymous employee at this Louisiana Parish said. Um, Vickers, Angelo Vickers, that's the name of the guy who raped this 14-year-old, could not have engaged in sexual relations within the walls of the detention center with the victim without cooperation from her. Vickers did not use force, violence, or intimidation when engaging in sexual relations. The fact that they were in a prison, in detention facility, and that he was the guard implies a little bit of coercion. And intimidation. Yeah, it doesn't seem like she was free to go. I, I can't believe anybody would make that argument with yeah. a straight face. Well, they made that argument uh, anonymously. So, uh, of course, they don't want to reveal their identity. They probably don't want to reveal their identity because this is beyond controversial. This is just straight wrong. And it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing to say. It's, and it's beyond insulting for rape victims. She's 14 years old. This correctional officer was 40 years old at the time, and she was distressed. She had been abused herself by other people in the past. And, and, We're not, and yeah, we don't need to have this conversation. We don't. We don't. I mean, this is, by the way, there's no age of, 14 is not the age of consent in Louisiana or anywhere else in the country. It, it's, so it's, it's done. This is a clear case. It's wrong and illegal in 18 different ways. And even if she was an adult, the correctional officer can't go in under that situation. He has power over her. You know how we talk about how teachers have power over their students? And then, you know, you can get into the, you know, gray areas. If the student is in college or if the student is 17, or the age of consent is 16. This isn't a gray area. One of them is the guard. The other one is the prisoner. One is 40. The other one is 14. We're not having this conversation. Massively and irreversibly guilty. Thank you. 